Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham, and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he, he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. taking a break today from the book of Ephesians, and I'm preaching on the subject of tithing. And the last time I did that was April of 2007. So the session has asked me to encourage you to faithfulness in this subject today. Looking at the pattern of giving, we do have some concerns and our concerns are not just about revenue, though this does impact our ability to meet future needs of the church, including uh, an assistant pastor and things like that. But more importantly, our concerns are for some of you who are not following Christ in this key area of loyalty to him. Now, I know for a fact that every one of you is already tithing. And I want to commend all of you who are tithing to the church. And that's most of you. But others are giving their tithe somewhere else. And that's not only not good for the church, it's not good for you. Now, sometimes talking about money is awkward. I hate asking someone for money. But I want to say up front that I don't feel awkward or embarrassed about speaking to you about tithing because I'm only the messenger. These are God's tithes. They're not yours, and they're not mine. God's Word speaks authoritatively to every area of life and faith, including the use of our money. We can't afford to hold back on this issue any more than we could afford to hold back on any other issue or area of faith in life. 
And so we should all be eager to know what God thinks and what God requires in this area of life and faith. We need a sound theology of money and of giving. And so we should likewise be eager to believe and obey what he says about these matters just as we would any other matter. Gary North once said that we should love the Lord our God with all our money. And I thought that really would fit on a bumper sticker quite well. It captures all the rest of it, right? We, we put our money in the areas uh, toward the things we actually love. Or as Jesus simply said, where your treasure is, where your money is, that's where your heart will be also. We could even turn it around and say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. That's where your money will go. Tithing is one of the few ways to really mortify our temptation and our idol of materialism. Allow me to begin by making a few strong arguments. We realize in working on this, certainly don't have time in one sermon to exhaust this subject. The Bible has quite a bit to say about it, so I want to hit a few points. So I want to make a few strong arguments for tithing. First, tithing is an inescapable concept. When we give the tithe, we offer first a tribute. That is a form of honor. Second, we offer a token. In this case, 10% represents the whole. And third, we have an acknowledgement. We're saying that this is due to God. So we have a tribute, a token, and an acknowledgement. Now God, of course, the giver of all good gifts. We bring 10% as the ritual signification that 100% is His. It's all His. We bring, we bring this. We don't pay the money because we have extra and God is always just a little bit short. God doesn't need our money. It's not our money. It's His money. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All that we have belongs to Him. And we tend to forget this to our dismay and sorrow. And so God, because we tend to forget that it's all His, God has instituted the tithe as a reminder that it's all His. He requires 10% off the top. Second argument from our text today has to do with Melchizedek and the Levites. I remember the last time I preached on this subject was when I was preaching through the book of Hebrews and came to this text. And at least for me, I had never noticed this really before as a what I think is one of the stronger arguments for the idea that uh, we all tithe and, and what it means when we tithe. The argument in our text today is that Melchizedek is, a much, is much greater than, uh, than, than Abraham was, and that Abraham, uh, even though Abraham received excuse me, the promises of God, and so we might ask this question, who is Melchizedek? By the time when Melchizedek comes up in the book of Hebrews, 
How many times has he even been mentioned in the Bible? Twice in the Old Testament. This obscure, I mean, if we didn't have the book of Hebrews, we would just read past that passage where Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek and wonder, who is that guy? And what we're going to see is the entire priesthood of Jesus Christ rests on the priesthood of Melchizedek. Otherwise, you say, well, how could Jesus be a high priest? He's not a Levite. You have to be a Levite to be a priest, and Jesus is not. Well, inspired word of God says, well, he is of the order of Melchizedek, who had no father or mother and who lives forever. In fact, he was, before the Levites ever got here, uh, it tells us that where were the Levites? They were in the loins of Abraham. They, ha- they haven't even been born. The Levites were not even a twinkle in Abraham's eye yet. But because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, he was representing not only himself, but all of his posterity. And so... The whole argument is that Melchizedek is superior, uh, his priesthood superior to the Levitical priesthood, and that's first seen in the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and the greater always blesses the lesser, and second in the fact that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Not only was this so, but Abraham's descendants, again, still in his loins, not even born yet, but through his federal representation, were also represented in that tithe. Now note, the tithe was not part of the Mosaic Code at this point, which indicates that the tithe is grounded in the way things are and isn't just an administrative detail of the Mosaic Law. In other words, this is the way God made the world. Even before Levi was, as I said, uh, uh, was even born, Melchizedek was already receiving tithes from Abraham, who was the head of the Jewish people. Now again, this is a powerful and I would argue a mature instruction about the nature of the covenant. Men, you represent the future generations of your descendants. And remember the point of this letter to the Hebrews, which is the supremacy of the person and office of Christ. Your children are represented by who you're tithing to, and you are tithing. That 10% that God says is His, if you're not giving it to Him, you're giving it to somebody or something. You... The question is, are you honoring God on behalf of your children and your children's children? Who are you paying tribute to? And again, you are paying tribute to someone or something. Your God is receiving your tithes. That's how we can figure out who your God is. No one objects when God demonstrates His greatness by blessing you materially. Have you ever objected to that? So God blessed me. I got a raise. Or I had this happen and I came into a windfall. God blessed me. I've never heard anyone complain about that. But some do mind having to declare God's greatness ourselves through the tithe. 
The Bible says the two are tied together. Nothing in the New Testament indicates that the practice of tithing is set aside any more than our inferiority and Christ's greatness is set aside. If the relation still stands, then why not this biblical way of declaring the relationship? He's the greater, we're the lesser. We pay tithes to the greater, the greater blesses us. And there is certainly continuity between the Old and New Testaments. Third, third argument is worship. That's why we take up God's tithes and our offerings. I'm drawing a distinction there. The tithes are God's. The free will offerings are yours to give, whether you want to or don't want to. But the offerings are his, the, the tithes are his. So why do we do that during worship service? Because it's an act of worship. It's an act of declaring the worth of God. That's what worship is. And so tithes and offerings are but tokens of gratitude that we offer back to God as part of our worship. They are not meritorious, but rather symbols of gratitude. They are an indication of where our hearts are, of our love for Him. One of our dreams, one of our goals, one of your dreams and goals should be to see the worship of God elevated in our community. Like all great feasts and all great celebrations, this is not a cheap proposition. Wealth, like all other physical things in this world, has a spiritual and an invisible dimension. We must not be Gnostics when it comes to the subject of money or wealth. I want to say something about our motive, too, in giving. Now, we've already said everything we have, we receive from Him. The old saying is true, we cannot outgive God. We love because He first loved us, and we give because He first gave to us. God is the giver of all good gifts, as James says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? And Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable which is your reasonable service. And so giving is an expression of love. You've heard me say frequently over the last year or two that really love and sacrifice or love and giving are really synonymous things in the Bible. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Husbands, love your wives how? As Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. So giving is about love. In Romans 1, it's those who fail to give thanks to God, who fail to show Him gratitude, who fail to give, who were then given over to their own lust and destruction. And since gifts are tokens of love and gratitude and thankfulness, they express the value that we place on the things they are tokens of. A cheap gift, often, not always, means that we don't value the object of the gift very much. I think I used this illustration a long time ago, but for example, 
Um, I think I heard that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Wagner are having an anniversary soon. Is that right? Okay. Um, I suspect Martha would not be real happy if Ed gave her some McDonald's coupons for their anniversary. What would that say about a husband's love for his wife? On the other hand, if great labor or thought or money went into an anniversary gift, what is the message that would be received? And thus we read in Matthew 2.11, And when they, that is the wise men, had opened their treasures, they presented to Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh. You see, God requires the first fruits, not the dregs, not the leftovers, not our spare change, and not our spare time. Exodus 23:19, the first of the first fruits of your land. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So that was the Old Testament. Yes, it was. Aren't you glad we're in the new, the more glorious, the more grand, the bigger, the better. Deuteronomy 26, 8-11. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given to me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Giving our tithes is an act of worship and not giving them to to God means we are worshiping something else. Maybe it's your savings account. Maybe it's your next trip out of town. Maybe it's the next bit of recreation or a new car or something. I don't know. But if it's not going to God, then it's going to something else. Something else is receiving that value and that a credit from you and that declaration of worth. And notice that God requires sacrifices that are spotless and without blemish. Exodus 12:5 Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves during the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold or from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what was sacrificed for you, Christ himself. Malachi 1, 7-8, you offer defile food on my altar. Remember, God in Malachi is bringing charges against his people who had become unfaithful. And he says, you offer defile food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? Who, me? What are you talking about? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? So they said, we're offering sacrifices. Well, it was, it was blind animal, and, you know, we couldn't do anything with it anyway, so we brought it. 
We brought our leftovers. We brought the dregs. We bought our spare change, if you will. And we're, we're making an offering, they argued. And God says, that's evil. And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? And then I love what he says here. Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And then in John 12, 1 through 7, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone She has kept this for the day of my burial, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. You see, we ought to always be striving by the grace of God to glorify God with the quality of our giving, flawed though it may be. Give him the best that you have. He knows what you can and can't do. He knows what you need. He knows how much you have. He gave it to you in the first place. Mark 12, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put their money in the treasury, in the offering plate. Think about that as the plate passes. Jesus says, I'm going to watch how you do this every Sunday, every week. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow, you see, she didn't have much, in fact, He said, she couldn't afford to do this. She can't afford it. She doesn't make very much. All those other people make a lot of money, but she could have justified and said, not me. I I don't make very much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, assuredly, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, or put money in the offering plate, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Jesus saw how the money was put in. Now, God also requires it. That settles it. I saw, finally, I think I mentioned the other day, saw the bumper sticker I've looked for for years. Used to, it said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, settles it. This one just said, God said it, that settles it. Obedience. It's our duty to, to tithe, and it's our privilege to tithe. This is consistent with the gospel message. Jesus required the total commitment of our lives. In Luke 14... He said, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has materially cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? 
It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said in Luke 9, 23 through 25, he said to all of them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is, is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And he himself then is destroyed. People say, oh, well, I haven't been tithing for years and I seem to be doing okay. I don't think God's judging me at all. You know what? You're still, God's not through yet. God doesn't say, well, if you disobey me on Monday by Friday, the world's going to come to an end. What he does say is you will, will reap what you sow and in due time your foot will slide. I'm reminded of that uh, joke about the guy that jumped off the Empire State Building. And as he went past the 22nd floor, someone heard him say, so far, so good. The demands of Christ are total and not minimal. The words of Jesus were and are hard to hear. Not because he's mean, but because he loves us. He tells us the truth. He tells us the way of blessing. But he never reduced the Christian life to a few external duties that would be good enough. In fact, his words were so hard and so demanding that we were told that many who had come out to follow him turned and followed him no more. I fear that in the church today there are some who have falsely comforted themselves with a minimal performance. Perhaps even some here today. What's the least I can do and still be a Christian? But Jesus warns that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Lives of gratitude and giving both to God and his people are what give God pleasure and glory. And as I said, we're not Gnostics. There's no separation between the spiritual and the material. And then we have this warning from Malachi also, chapter 3. God asks through Malachi, Malachi is speaking for God, and it says this, Will a man rob God? Will you steal from God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? What are you talking about, God? And he answers, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And then he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. You see, God indicts his people for not tithing. And notice that their first response again was, what are you talking about? Or perhaps it was, we don't make very much money and God has plenty without my tithe and I need it more than he does. But God insists that they are robbing him by taking for themselves what is his. It's not ours to keep and so to keep it is to be a thief. 
One man argued that the dying thief didn't tithe, and he was still saved. The difference was that one man was a dying thief, and the other was a living thief. You are rich. Really. God has blessed you and he has required the tithe of you. He can feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. But, you know the reverse of that story? It's found in the book of Hosea. He can feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, but he can put holes in your pocket too. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, um, the prophet. Did I say Hosea? I meant Haggai. Um, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put them into a bag or a pocket with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it. And be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. I believe that texts like this can properly be applied to the church, since the people of God are in fact his temple. In many ways, the Reformed and Evangelical Church is in disrepair, and it has become ineffective or irrelevant in the world. The salt of the earth is no longer salty. The problem in Haggai's day is the same one we have in our own. Personal comfort and affluence often comes before the work of God's kingdom. It comes before the church. We have money for travel and entertainment. Our own pleasure and glory is more important than the pleasure and glory of God. The temple of the Lord isn't the priority. The result of these misplaced priorities is that God brings a judgment upon his people. There is clearly a connection between obedience and prosperity. God warns us that he withholds genuine prosperity from us until we repent and faithfully serve him. And so the way to genuine blessing is faithfulness to God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he'll add all these other things to you. It's a matter of faith. Trusting God. Luke 6. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
running over, it will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. What about the quantity of our giving? Well, all that we have, we owe to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Of course, if you're not your own, then neither is all that stuff your own. When God saved Abraham, it was just not just Abraham. It was Abraham and his wife and his kids and his servants and his land and his animals, everything. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body, in your physical realm, and in your spirit, which is God's. They're both His. Whatever quantity we give, it is still but a token of what He's given us. And to whom much is given, much is required. Sacrificial giving requires real sacrifice. To give up something. Now, I think tithing sets a lower and an upper limit on our giving. Everybody here know how to figure 10%? Of course you do. That's easy. God made it easy. What an 8.2%. Just 10%. That's real easy. So, 10% is a minimum. Older New Covenant. And while you may give more, you're not required to give more. Free will offerings are gifts that go above and beyond the tithe. That's why if we do a love offering and a free will offering, you'll often hear me say, if you're tithing and would like to give to this, we encourage you to do so. If you can or if you want to, God will bless you for that. Go for it. If you're not tithing, tithe first. You see, it's always exciting to give to the exciting thing or the urgent thing. But to give to the unseen thing, the routine thing, God sees that, though. God blesses that. The others are expressions of gratitude to him as well. And so I might ask, how much gratitude have you expressed lately? Perhaps some could take a big chunk of their accumulated wealth and bless the church just because they want to. Wouldn't that be great? Now, wrap this up. As God said in Malachi, bring all your tithes into the storehouse. When you join the church, and every time we say we do, when someone else joins the church, the church membership vows, we take an oath. We swear before God and before God's people to, quote, support this congregation by your prayers, your attendance, your tithing, and your labor. Are those just words? Do you take your words seriously? God does. He heard you, and he remembers. Do you keep your promises? Do you expect your children to keep their promises? Then you keep yours. Demonstrate it. Show them. We're talking about child training. There you go. So there may be times when you have to say to your children, we can't afford that. And you might be able to, you know, in your head, do the math and say, you know, if we weren't tithing, we could get a new car too. We could go on that trip too. 
But what a great time to teach your kids. Sometimes you have to say no to yourself and no to them because there's something more important. So the question for all of us today is, are you loving God with all your money? What does the index of your gratitude show? What is your salvation worth? 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you are the giver of life and the giver of salvation. You gave us your only begotten Son, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, King of Righteousness, Prince of Peace. You redeemed us from slavery and set us free. By your grace, you have freely given us faith that we might receive your blessing of salvation and abundant life. Indeed, you have freely given us all things above and beyond all that we could ask or think. By your love, you have poured out the Holy Spirit on our hearts. You have blessed us with spiritual gifts. You have promised us an inheritance which is incorruptible and will not fade away. O Lord, we pay Christ our tribute with both our praises and our tithes. Help us, Lord, to remember and to have giving hearts, to be faithful and cheerful givers, to show forth our gratitude for all you have given to us, that we might trust in you. Thank you for all that you have promised in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our meal offering to you. He is our priest and our mediator, a royal priesthood. We now receive this meal from you that we might also eat the bread of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he who dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While, while through this proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Do you want to test your contentment before God? Would you be equally committed to God, equally happy if tomorrow you found out that all you had left was that day's food and clothes on your back 
and a roof over your head tonight. If not, then your heart is tied to something other than full-fledged allegiance to the Savior. The Bible says your faith is at risk. You know, you don't have to be rich to love money. In fact, sometimes those who are on the poor end are the ones that may love the money the most. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10, through 10, that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This is probably not an open denial of the faith, but rather a self-destructive and self-deceptive way of falling away. So as we come to the table... We should remember what God has given to each of us. And I would urge you to not be, you know, I know as I sit under the word frequently, it wounds, it hurts, it makes me uncomfortable. But don't stop there. The word also heals. The word promises. The word blesses. That's what God wants. That's what I want. That's what what the word of God does. God says, "If if you'll trust me, if you'll obey me, if you'll follow me, it will be the way of blessing for you, which is another way of saying of happiness, of joy. And so this isn't to to bring us to a place of scowls, it's to bring us to a place of smiles and rejoicing in the Lord because we know that He's got our back. He loves us. He's taken care of us. And so let us renew our original covenant with Him, which includes our commitment to forsake all that we have, to love, obey, and trust Him, because all that we have, we owe to Him. Almighty and most merciful Father, from whom every good and perfect gift comes, we give You praise and hearty thanks for all Your mercies, for Your goodness that created us, and Your bounty that sustains us, and Your fatherly discipline that chastens and corrects us, Your patience that bears with us and Your love that redeems us. We praise You, O Lord, for Your Son, our Savior, for Your Spirit, our Comforter, and for Your Church, our home, and for the lives of Your people, and for the hope of the life to come. We praise You, O God. Grant us, with all Your gifts, hearts to love and praise You, and enable us to show our thankfulness for all Your benefits by giving up ourselves and our possessions to Your service and cheerfully conforming in all things to your blessed will. Indeed, every good and perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of your own will you brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of your creatures. So then, may we be swift to hear and slow to speak. Teach us how to hold your good gifts to possess them in righteousness, and to use them for your glory. Bless now our rest, our feast, and our fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.